Welcome to the Fright Lab. I'm Lucas Yoakum. The poor SOB with me today is, as always, our producer, Joseph Wren. And good evening to you, all of you gruesome people. You know what? Let's just dive into this. Flawed, challenging, inexcusable, cruel, mean, ugly. These are terms I have seen used to describe the 2018 film Incident in a Ghostland from the highly provocative but award-winning French director Pascal Logier. I initially watched this film back in 2020 when it showed up on Shudder, though nowadays you'll find it on Netflix. At the time, I was writing for a small and now sadly defunct website called Villains Live as a film reviewer. But that film has stuck around in my memory for some reason, and I've decided I want to talk about it again with fresh eyes. When I wrote my original review of Incident in a Ghostland, I was struck pretty hard by it. It was a pretty rough watch at that moment. For reference, it was August 2020. We were all still dealing with the beginnings of the COVID-19 pandemic. I hadn't seen any of my friends or family in months, and at that point, there was no serious talk of vaccines. Maybe my headspace wasn't the best at that point. Joe, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You end up watching a movie or listening to an album that you are just not, like, psychiatrically prepared for. As somebody who has done a metal podcast for over six years, I can tell you that is my week-to-week state of mind. However, I know exactly what you mean about something that happened in 2020. It's kind of like a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. You know it happened, but you don't have any solid recollection about what was going on in your life or around you at that time because we were all at home by ourselves for much longer than anyone is prepared to admit right now. Yeah, it was it was a really rough time, as as I'm sure our audience doesn't need any reminder of how bad the uh, the coronavirus pandemic of 2020 was. It sucked. We all went through it together. Uh, yeah, that's that's what they're calling it. That's what they're calling it. But so I ended up at, at home watching a lot of horror movies, and naturally that was a movie I fell onto. And so my feeling about Incident in a Ghostland at the time were kind of mixed. On one hand, I thought it was uh, full of a lot of like visually impressive, interesting kinetic action scenes. I also felt that it wasn't really a movie for everyone. In the end, my review of the film for Villains Live, uh, I basically said that it was a movie for an audience with a darker sensibility who wanted something more than just jump scares and buckets of gore. It's occurred to me, though, that I've never explained the title of this podcast, really. So I want to take a second to deal with that. Um, I don't use a lot of like science imagery or terminology in this show. And I'm not really interested in the science of people feeling fear, though I think that's an interesting subject in and of itself. Uh, I took the title uh, for, for the show from a point I heard made by a martial artist. The person who made the comment, a guy named Ellis Amder, is both an exponent of traditional Japanese and Chinese fighting arts, as well as uh, a psychological counselor. He made a point in, I can't remember if it was a book or an interview, one of the two, but he made a point that martial arts practice, when it's executed with like correct intention and intensity, can serve to be a profound place to experiment. He called it, I believe, a laboratory of violence. Since that moment, I've often thought about the places of my interests where that same sort of attitude can apply. In our case, I think that horror media can be a laboratory for people to experiment and experience the worst parts of human life. 
So the Fright Lab is a place where we can talk about those experiments with the scary stuff using the quote-unquote higher thinking as well as just plain old media review and geekery. So my intention on this episode is to take a second look at Incident in a Ghostland and then answer a few questions. For instance, who did Logier make this movie for? What is this movie trying to say or talk about? Does it succeed in those arenas? And finally, what purpose does extreme horror serve? And does Incident in a Ghostland meet that challenge? I think these are hard questions to answer, and in many regards, they deserve that thought. And to get started with those questions, let's talk a little bit about Pascal Logier and his previous work. Logier is probably best known for his film Martyrs, released in 2008. No plot synopsis here. Suffice it to say that it is likely the high point of the new French extremity, along with films like Inside, Revenge, High Tension, which was also known as Switchblade Romance, Irreversible, and Basse Moi, which I believe in French means like fuck me or something. It's a divisive genre to be sure, and being honest, I'm not a fan. But Logier definitely made an impact with Martyrs, being one of the best films of an entire cinematic movement. So far, so good. But that's where the good ends. We've got to talk Incident in a Ghostland, and going forward, I'm just going to call it Ghostland because that's just how it was released in other parts of the world, and it's a lot less of a mouthful. Ghostland opens with our main protagonists, Mother Pauline and her two daughters, Vera and Beth. They're relocating from an urban area to an undisclosed rural area. Presumably, it's Illinois, given later scenes in Chicago. They've recently inherited a relative's home and are moving in for something resembling a fresh start. Young Beth is an aspiring horror author, and Vera... Well, Vera is a very opinionated young woman who has some issues with her current predicament. On their way to their new home, they learn about a string of unsolved family murders. In case you were thinking, Hey, Lucas, was that an incredibly unsubtle bit of foreshadowing? I'd say, yep, and strap in, it doesn't get much better. In short order, the family is attacked. And they manage to muster a fast defense and somehow survive. Many years later, Beth is now an incredibly successful writer, penning a world-conquering set of horror novels. She's on the cusp of a somehow even bigger break when she receives a distressing call. Her mother is still living in the home where they were attacked and is attempting to care for an increasingly unhinged adult Vera. So, virtually any further discussion of this plot from that point forward would ruin one of the only real appealing parts of the movie? Ghostland is an intensely twist-heavy flick. And that's kind of true of New French Extremity, by the way. There's always twists in these movies. Anyway, uh, Ghostland is also wall-to-wall -wall just loaded with oppressive, partially stylized violence. Again, not surprising, Logier is one of the names most associated with an entire subgenre associated with twists and oppressive, stylized violence. I think that Logier was really chasing after that same audience of high tension with this one. And I think he completely missed the mark. 
Ghostland has a lot to like in it, but wow, it has a lot to straight up hate. Watching this movie after two years and using an ounce of critical thinking about it makes it an unpleasant, frustrating watch. But before I start talking about why I really have some issues with this one, we need to talk about what's worth liking about this movie and where it fits in the entire concept of extreme horror more broadly. Resist the urge to say Shyamalan every time he says twist. You know, I feel bad for M. Night Shyamalan because there's some stuff he genuinely does well. He just hasn't done it well in 15 years. Split. Was that any good? I didn't see that one. My friend, watch Split not knowing it's a Shyamalan film. Okay. Yeah, fair That's enough. all I have to say. And do your best to not look up anything about it that you don't already know. You see, I won't do that. I didn't know anything about um, about uh, Logier's Martyrs. I didn't know anything about it. I watched it on a whim one night. I think I found it on DVD for like $3 at a Walmart or something. And I was like, you know, fuck it, I got a couple of bucks. This looks freaky. Watched it, and at the end went, holy fuck, what was that? It's brutal. <laughs> it's just fucking brutal. Uh, same thing with uh, another movie that I mentioned here, uh, High Tension, which... It's cheesy. I've seen High Tension. It's been a while. But it's a great fucking movie. And by by the big twist midway through, you go, whoa, what, what the fuck was that? To start, the cast. I had never heard of Mélène Farmer uh, before this movie, and she is really great. I was also a little surprised to learn that she's had this long and highly successful career of doing uh, pop music in France. I just actually went through and listened to a bunch of her songs after this rewatch. It's not exactly my bag, but it is good for fans of like synth pop or euro pop. And if you guys are fans of stuff like Vaporwave, get up on some uh, Maylane Farmer jams. Uh, you will have fun with those beats. The actresses responsible for Beth and Vera are really, really good. They catch the necessary vulnerability and fear really well. Uh, young Vera, portrayed by Taylor Hickson, is wholly believable, even for her like early snotty extremes. I want you to keep the name Taylor Hickson in mind for later, though. We've got a lot to talk about there. The acting amongst our three protagonists uh, in the early part of the film is really fun. The family when they're younger is the best part, and the older version is actually really touching in a lot of ways. Uh, If you've ever tried uh, to help dealing with someone who has like extreme psychological struggles, they do a very good job of portraying how difficult that is, but they do it in a, a, for a Loger film, pretty pretty human way. It's, It's neat to watch. Next thing, the visuals. Director of photography Danny Nowak did some wonderful work here, and for my complaints about Pascal Loger, He obviously had a vision for this movie, and he bloody well stuck with it. The house where 90% of this movie takes place is honestly more of like a nightmare museum than an old-timey family home. You couldn't have had a plot this bonkers without the set sort of matching. I mean, can you imagine Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, taking place exclusively in like a brand new suburb? It'd be entirely too hard of a jump to make. The movie looks incredibly good. Subject matter be damned, this is a mostly visually pleasing film, even when it's at its most revolting, and that's no easy feat. It may not be like a Jairo Bustamante film like La Llorona, but it looks good. One of the most notable scenes in the movie, which I will refer to as the Dolly dress-up scene, 
is one of the most unpleasant sequences that I've seen in recent memory. It's sharply shot and has an incredible amount of visual detail. I've heard this movie described as a, I don't know, sort of giallo-esque kind of movie, and here I sort of see it. There's a real gritty thing going on here, and genuinely it's pretty gross to watch. The tension in it is piano wire tight here. And like a lot of other commenters, I sort of hate that I love this sequence as much as I do. It's well acted, and I think it executes its scares really well. So there are plenty of things to like about this movie. After my first watch, I felt that it wasn't a movie for everyone. But after watching it a second time, I honestly think this movie sort of fails as a piece of extreme cinema. I tend to think of extreme cinema as the equivalent of riding roller coasters, bungee jumping, or the like. There's an interest in pushing some experiences out to the extreme, or pushing oneself out to an edge. I'm sure there are probably better explanations of it, but that is one of the only recurring things that I can say that I think is happening in that subgenre. But Ghostland utterly drops the ball here. Sure, it's violent. Sickeningly so. You don't end up seeing the full extent of the sexual assault of Beth and Vera that's implied, at least not on screen anyway, but what you do see is awful. But, but, come on. This isn't that extreme of a film. There are more hardcore films in the new French extremity. Hell, there are more hardcore Logier films. So if this movie doesn't offer adequate thrills to the quote-unquote extreme genre, what is it? What is Ghostland saying? I can't wait to watch this movie. I, you know what, man? I will say, watch it. It's, it's, an, it's a neat movie in some regards, and I don't spoil too much of the plot here, but holy shit, fuck this movie. I'm, 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 I've, I've already come up with an idea for um, our first, uh, our second, uh, I should say, discussion-based episode. Mm. Um, and, I, and I am a fan of top fives, but the problem with top fives is they're subjective. Yeah. So um, I think what, what we need to do is flip it and go the, the trendy route of the tier lists. Okay. We need to select and rank the most horrifying because I think horrifying is different than disturbing okay. scenes in film. Ooh, that's an interesting conundrum. We'll have to sit down and figure out what the difference between horrifying and conundrum for our sake's argument. But that's neat. That's a neat idea. Let's take a look at the shortcomings of this flick. Early in the movie, young Vera jokes that the house is Rob Zombie's house. No, it isn't. I've seen Rob Zombie's house. <laughs> that's a fucked up place to be. This whole movie, and especially its setting, is about as subtle as a Marilyn Manson video. It looks good and provocative, but it ends up being a lot of noise, but little signal, you know? I read a review that tried to say that, basically, all the major plot points of this movie are pure delusion. That seems to me to be a whole load of extra-textual exegesis. Or in plain English, you are having to make up bullshit for that to work. And then there are the jump scares. A few of them are fun, but in many cases, they are majorly telegraphed. If you're at all familiar with like the visual language of horror, they stick out like a sore thumb. Ghostland, as mentioned earlier, is relying on a plot twist early in the film to do a lot of the work. I can accept a lot of plot twists in cinema, and admittedly, 
it takes a lot for one to really work. The main plot twist of this movie works. Sure, it's pretty clever, actually. But this movie relies quite a bit on being clever. And honestly, the story isn't that smart. In my opinion, this film is yelling at the top of its metaphorical lungs, See how smart I am? I've seen The Usual Suspects and Last House on the Left. It's just, oh, so clever. Have you seen White Noise? Uh, not in about 10 years, but yeah, I have seen it. Talk about one of the worst, I don't even want to call it a horror movie because it's not. It's a jump scare yeah, it's something. It's it's kind of like Five Nights at Freddy's, but much less entertaining. It tries to sell you on the idea that a horror movie is just loud noises at predetermined times. And I'm sorry, but when you talk about jump scares, it's not always about making a loud noise. It's about throwing the audience off and then delivering. It's about the resolution, yeah. said uh, Hitchcock at one point. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot going on that could be different there. One of the biggest shortcomings in this movie comes entirely from its antagonists, credited as Fat Man and Candy Truck Woman. Not that those two terms even get so much as a breath on screen. So, Fat Man is coded as having some unspecified mental issue, and Candy Truck Woman is coded as either a cross-dresser or a transgender woman. So, these two concepts are not 100% bad in the context of a horror movie. I think a more competent script or having more of an insightful direction uh, could have made like a trans-coded villain or a villain with like some very severe mental problems. A more competent director could do it and make it work. But sensitive, insightful, high-minded direction mostly feels out of the question in this movie. These characters have next to no backstory or anything in terms of motivation. What's the candy truck woman's story, right? How'd they hook up with the fat man? Why are their M.O.s connected? Sure, not every villain needs a 30-minute like block of character development, but you get nothing with these two. Virtually any sort of character could have been put in their places and it would have worked. Why not a simple pair of escaped convicts, right? Maybe like evil cultists. Why not some black metal enthusiast furries? Fuck, Pascal, give us something. <laughs> that came out a lot spicier than I thought it would. I'm sorry. That's that's okay, because I, I, I disagree. I think sometimes the best thing you can do with a villain is not explain them. Hence, every argument in favor of the Joker being one of the greatest villains of all time. Sure. Just don't fucking explain it. Well, and that's fine. I think you can get away with that if you're actually writing a movie you give a shit about, right? Like... The Joker can be done in a way that's absolutely terrifying if you have the correct setting for him. Period. Anyway, uh, cut that line out, by the way. I want to save that reveal. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to one of my original questions. What is this movie trying to say or talk about? Well, on paper, it sounds like it's talking about trauma or resilience or sibling bonds. But it kind of falls flat there, right? And as for our villains, I don't think Pascal Loger was trying to say anything about trans people or people with mental health issues. This movie is kind of too unintelligent in too many ways to be engaged in discourse. In short, Incident in a Ghostland isn't smart enough to be really saying anything. In my opinion, it's silly gross torture porn with pretensions of being a serious art house horror. What year did this come out? 
Uh, I believe 2018. So this is something that in the present mindset of society as a whole should be more sensitive. You would think. Is that what you're it's, hinting at here? There's, there is that. But again, it's, it's less even that, oh, one of the main villains is more or less presented as a trans woman and one of the other or the other main villain is presented as having like severe mental problems. It's that it's done so clumsily. Like, I think you could have with the, again, with a better director and a better script, I think you could have any one of those two villains in a horror movie and have it be very effective and very scary. It's just, again, I don't think... Logier is a very good guy or a very good director. And I'll kind of get to that in a minute. So, Joe, can you guess the line in this movie that finally set me over the edge? That would be impossible for me at this time. Please <laughs> tell me, what is the single line of dialogue? The line that did it for me is nearing the end of the film when adult Beth is praised by one of her idols for her writing skill. Adult Beth is told the book... Uh, that she has written, uh, that uh, this movie is kind of hooked around, conveniently entitled Incident in a Ghost Land, is her best novel yet. I genuinely groaned, oh, fuck off at my TV. <laughs> I can't prove that that line was intended to be masturbatory, but it absolutely sounded that way, you know? Like, I, I'm fine with directors being a little narcissistic. I expect that out of a lot of artists, if I'm being brutally honest. Come on! How does anyone hear that line and not immediately think, this is Pascal Logier either trying to troll his audience or in, in cinema stroking himself off? I would take it a different direction. Is this like a misery thing where he's trying to throw it back to, I'm your number one fan? Maybe, but I don't think he's smart enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Earlier, we mentioned specifically to remember the name Taylor Hickson, who portrays young Vera in this film. She was pretty seriously injured on the set. The short version of the story. Ms. Hickson had been directed by Logier to pound on a piece of glass in a scene, and in subsequent takes, had been advised to do it harder and to do it with her fists. She asked whether or not this was safe to do, and, you know, you have to realize how dangerous and brittle glass is. Allegedly, she was told it was safe. It was not safe. The glass shattered, and she went through it. For her trouble, she received a massive facial wound, one that apparently took like 60 or 70 stitches to fix. Taylor Hickson and the rest of the cast should be able to count on safe working environments. And I get it. Accidents sometimes happen in filmmaking. It's unavoidable in any industry, right? But goddamn, that was egregious. Hickson apparently sued the production company, and despite some pretty nasty scarring and corrective surgery, she seems to have landed on her feet. She's been working steadily since then and seems pretty well regarded by everyone who works with her. So good for her. I'm happy to hear her career kept moving after this point. But there's been rumors that the cast of Martyrs, Logier's big break, not wanting to work with Logier after that filming wrapped. So maybe that was more than just an accident, you know? Food for thought, if nothing else. So I'm sort of torn about Ghostland. I'd said there were things about it I like as a movie, and I stand by that. And I'm not convinced that a film being transgressive, gross, or off-putting are good enough reasons to write them off. And hell, I think that's true of any piece of art, really. I don't think transgression is enough to write off art at all. I'm an awfully big fan of people like H.R. Giger, Rob Sheridan, 
and a lot of their work is really dark. Movies like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for instance, are hard watches even now. And if we're talking pure fluid ounces, it's not half as bloody as many of the films I intend to talk about in this series. But it's dark and unpleasant, and I absolutely adore that movie. I feel like what I broadly called extreme horror earlier can often be pretty out there as, in a, as a thing, and in some cases, horror fans are richly rewarded by extremity. Not everything needs to be like Peter Medak's The Changeling, you know? It, it doesn't need to be all dark and brooding meditations on a thing. But with even the more disgusting side of horror flicks, I tend to just treat it like any other horror flick. At the end of my most recent screening of Ghostland, I honestly snarled, fuck you, Pascal, during the credits. I'm a big believer in giving myself room to say what I need to say, and in many situations, I had to get that out of my system more or less immediately. So after a second watch and my endless droning here, what's the verdict? Can I recommend that you log into Netflix right now and watch Incident in a Ghostland? Nah, not really. It's gonna not appeal to most people. It's gross and fucked up, and the payoff really isn't all that satisfying. I think fans of grittier sides of horror might want to check it out, but otherwise it's not like a requisite watch. I think if you want something from the new French extremity movement, check out Alexandra Aja's High Tension. While this movie isn't visually as slick as Ghostland, it executes its premise in more interesting ways. It's way more entertaining, really. I don't know that High Tension is some work of genius or anything, but I just think it's a more palatable, fun movie. Or for that matter, go watch anything from Logier's back catalog. Martyrs is a hard watch for some people, but even with its flaws, Martyrs has a plot that I genuinely haven't encountered in any other way. So, yeah, incidentally, Ghostland, screw this movie. <laughs> yeah, man, it's just... Anyway. <laughs> I think one was enough, two was too much. Yeah, yeah, definitely a case of that. So, uh, The Fright Lab is written by me, Lucas Joachim, and it's performed by me and producer Joseph Wren. We want to hear from you guys uh, with all my griping out of the way. Am I off base here? If you've seen Incident in the Ghostland and you enjoy it, what am I missing? What new French extremity joint should I have checked out or should I be talking about on the podcast? Does Joe deserve a raise for having to watch these movies? Yes. <laughs> Let us know. Email us at thefrightlabpodcast at gmail.com to rightly chastise us. Joe, do you want to tell us about your other uh, other piece of work for our beleaguered audience? Listen, there's a time for all things disturbing. There's a time for all things horrifying and scary. And there are times to just listen to some fucking good heavy music. If you're a fan of metal, if you're a fan of all the subgenres, and you want to listen to a podcast where we listen to all of the music by a band, it might be your favorite band, might be a band you've never heard of, you need to check out all the podcasts at DiscussMetal.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. We couldn't ask for better ourselves. So thank you for, so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. that time I was writing for a small and now sadly defunct website called Villains Love. Bleh, Villains Love? That's not the name of the podcast. That wasn't the name of it, man. This is starting to sound like a weird porn thing. Welcome <laughs> to VillainsLove.net. <laughs> you know, had Villains Love been a dating site, you know I'd have an account, right? 
Pascal Loger sucks and can't pull it off. Period. Anyway, uh, cut that line out, by the way. I want to save that reveal. 